Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective podcast, where we break down the practical strategies of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. This is your host, Meredith Oak, QBC co-founder and executive coach with a friendly reminder, podcasts are conversations, not consultations. So if you're looking for a practitioner, check out our directory at www.quantumbiologycollective.org. Carrie Bennett is a quantum clinician and educator and a faculty member here at the QBC. She has deep experience with the science and application of quantum biology. In this episode, we get into one of the most common and troubling symptoms plaguing modern humans, fatigue. You're not quite sick, but you also don't have enough energy to live a full life. This is the common situation so many of us find ourselves in. Here, Carrie breaks down what's happening, why it's happening, and what we can do about it. Hey, I'm ready. Hi, Carrie. <laughs> hey, Meredith. <laughs> All right, the chronic fatigue episode. Yes. So this is a big one. Let's just start. How do you even? How do you define that term? <laughs> well, you know, it's it can be defined in multiple ways. And this is going to resonate differently with kind of each person's experience. Some people just legitimately can't get out of bed in the morning. Other people maybe have been diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Other people, maybe chronic fatigue syndrome. Other people, it's actually this weird feeling of being tired all the time, but wired at night and you can't get good quality sleep. So your sleep stinks and then you wake up the next morning. And, and so Fatigue, chronic fatigue is a catch-all. You can also call it adrenal fatigue. You can call it hypothyroidism. I mean, right? Like all of these things have a fatigue component to them. And the problem I have, even though I have a course called the adrenal fatigue fix, but the problem I have, even with a label like that, is that the foundation of fatigue is the same, I have found. There is an issue with the body knowing when and how to make enough energy. And that is, that's a common thread across all of those different diagnoses or self-classifications in terms of fatigue. And so that's what I love about quantum biology is because it allows us to take what seem like different conditions entirely. And we recognize, oh, there's actually a common thread to all of these. And this is really the foundation upon which we support people who are dealing with chronic fatigue. Right. Because yes, what I've noticed in, you know, doing all these interviews is that, um, I have heard over and over that the earliest sign of circadian dysregulation of mitochondrial dysregulation or dysfunction, like the earliest and most common sign to look for is fatigue. Yeah. And it's easily, it's also something that's kind of easy to brush off because everyone's always so super busy and we've got so much going on. It's like, oh, I just feel tired, you know? And I did that for a long time to my detriment. Uh, so I just wanted to highlight that of fatigue as a symptom to take seriously and why. Yeah, so fatigue is absolutely a symptom to take seriously. And you're right, I did the same thing. I think that's a very common thing that people have. I, I was like, oh, I'm a new mom. Oh, I started another business. Oh, I, you know, I'm just busy all the time. And you're right, it's very, oh, I didn't sleep well last night. So of course I'm tired. But fatigue, yeah. fatigue when you understand how light signaling should optimize energy levels so that we really feel energized in the morning and how having the correct darkness signals at night should wind our body down so that we can be tired at a circadian appropriate time and get into a really deep restorative sleep. Once you understand that foundation, you recognize that I was just given excuses. And frankly, I was giving myself excuses. And frankly, I mean, and I bet you the practitioners that I saw at the time when I was trying to address my own chronic fatigue issues, I bet you they, I mean, they had the best of intentions, but they were like, oh, you need more energy. Take some B vitamins. Oh, you need more energy. Here's these adaptogens. Oh, you need to help with your sleep here. Take this. It's going to calm your nervous system and it's going to you know, be calming and you need more magnesium. And they were okay. Right. But it, nothing ever addressed the foundation upon which the body is, gets the signal to make energy or the signal to go to sleep. And so it was just a, okay, do I feel a little better? Maybe, maybe I feel a little better. I don't know, but like it was, it wasn't super tangible until I actually started implementing light and understanding light and circadian signaling that I was finally like, oh my gosh, 
is this placebo? Like, am I really feeling like this after just a few days compared to all of the years of like trial and error with other things? Right. And so those other things, when we're as helpful as they can be, if you're not, they're not getting to the root cause of the fatigue. Exactly. It's not the root cause of the fatigue because the, what, what happens is when we feel fatigue, number one, we're not getting the correct light signaling to signal our energizing hormones, which we can go into depth on. And then number two, the components inside of us that are meant to produce energy for us, the mitochondria, which make water and ATP, which work together to help fuel the function of every function of our cells, they're, they're also not getting the correct signaling to optimize their function. And so you, you can see how this compounds it. Not only am I not making the energizing hormones or chemicals that are supposed to keep me awake and alert throughout the day, but I'm also not supporting my cellular energy processes either. And so when the mitochondria aren't functioning well, it actually drives up inflammation. That inflammation demands more energy. I'm not getting the energy to them. I'm not signaling the energy. And so that's where fatigue starts to become a, a greater and greater dysfunction that will lead ultimately to a mitochondrial dysfunction, which can get classified as a disease, or it can just be that state where you're like flatlined, right? Like I just can't get out of bed. This is just, I'm done for. Right. And that would be the difference between chronic fatigue and just being tired. Because in my, so for, in my personal experience, I had, um, I had my first two children. They were about two and a half years apart. And so there was a period where I was very badly sleep deprived and I felt tired. However, when I caught up on my sleep, I felt better. (laughs) Then uh, about five years later, I had my third baby and this is, and I probably should have regulated myself before I got pregnant, but I did not. And that fatigue, like the tiredness that I felt at this point in my life, it didn't matter how much sleep I got. I never, I never felt better. And I was like, this is different. It's just, it's not the same as just being tired due to sleep deprivation, which I can catch up on by sleeping. And this was like, I was reorganizing my life to sleep 10 hours a night and I still never felt refreshed. Yeah, absolutely. And so that really right there is where you're tipping it over into the amount of inflammation you're that are being that's being produced in your cells by the mitochondria is overcoming your ability to clear it and regulate it during your sleep cycle. And so that's okay. where like when you wake that's where you wake up and you're like I'm not refreshed or you had a workout and you're like I am so sore and wiped out. There's no way I I, I didn't recover from that workout. It takes me days to recover from a workout simply because you've just reached there, there's a threshold and it's, it's a common place to be like, especially as a mom, right. You know, I had yeah. a, this very similar experience, but slightly different. Mine was my first, right. Um, where I was also sleep deprived. So th- it's an easy assumption to like, you know, yeah. the, right. Like moms who've had this, this child in their lives, it's like the kid who you rock for 60 minutes to fall asleep for 45. <laughs> right. You know? yeah. yeah. I had one of those. <laughs> you're like, And so it's like, you're like you said, it was easy for me to justify my fatigue, but even after he started sleeping well, I I just still felt like I could fall asleep at any time. And I I just like, my description is I felt like life was me in a dark movie theater with a boring movie. And I just, you know, at any moment, my eyes could easily just, and I could take a nap and fall asleep. But then when I did fall asleep at night, it wasn't restorative. It wasn't a good sleep. Um, Those are just really really common things, I think, as moms and as parents that we experience that we just kind of poo-poo, but it really can be the start of something, I don't want to stress people out, but something more nefarious down the line. Yes. And it's important to actually catch it at that stage and, and honor fatigue as a legitimate call that your body is putting out that something needs support. Yes. And I want it. so I want to get into what's happening during sleep, but I, I just want to stay on this topic for a second. Um, which is, you know, we touched on it earlier, how easy it is to brush off this symptom and how important it is to not brush off this symptom. Like we kind of have this idea that we're supposed to be like on all the time and productive and doing really well. And uh, that if if we're not, there's something wrong with us or it's, oh, it's just this or it's just that or it's good, you know? And so I just want to spend a minute talking about how important it is 
for everybody, but particularly women and especially moms, because I think we've just bought this idea that we're supposed to feel wrecked all the time. And I think there's another way. And I just want to make sure that people really get like feeling tired and getting, you know, like the kind of tired where like catching up on your sleep doesn't make a dent in it. If you feel like that, please, 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 please pay attention. It's a real, yeah, just, it's a, just it's because a it's symptom. Common. It's a symptom. It's not just like some, right. like some side effect of life. That's exactly it. Just because something is very common and I think society just brushes it off doesn't mean it's, it's normal or, or, or good or, or that there's nothing you can do about it. Um, you know, or, or, you know, you just need to take more naps or it, it, this is the, the, like you said, this is the type of fatigue that it reaches the point where it really doesn't matter how much you sleep, you can take naps, you can get to sleep at night. Your body just isn't signaling energy production efficiently. And it, it, it's, it's, um, I, I'm glad you mentioned that it really is the canary in the coal mine for the potential for other things to happen down the road. And so, and, and Meredith, you know, this, and I hate to say this, cause I don't want to sound like, oh, no big deal, but the, the solution isn't hard. The support yeah. isn't necessarily hard. It's just that we have to recognize that this is a thing and we can do something about it. And I don't have to feel like this anymore. I don't have to be that mom that just pushes through and just feels completely wiped at the end of the day, only to get a second wind until one o'clock in the morning and not be able to fall asleep at that point. Like um, yeah. it, it doesn't have to be that way. So I hope this lets people recognize that, okay, like I'm experiencing fatigue and yeah, I know that there should be something that I can do to feel better. I want to feel better. Well, we're going to tell you what you can do. There is something you can do to feel better for sure. Yes. Yeah. And it's worth, it's worth thinking about as something that deserves and needs to be addressed because as you said, it is an, it's an early symptom. So if we can take this seriously, there's a good chance we're saving ourselves further pain down the road by getting, changing our habits now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, can you, I'm, I yeah. don't know if you, I don't know if this was your experience, but you know, I'm, I'm certain you had other downstream ramifications for me. It was the fatigue first by far. Yes. And then I let it go too far. And then it was gut, right? Like my gut yeah. was wrecked. Then I let it go further. And my joints, like, I just couldn't recover aches. It's just, my body just didn't feel refreshed ever. And so like, you know, it can continue to go further and further and further. I mean, I think honestly, ultimately it's what caused me to tear my ACL when I was playing in a pickup, a pickup game, just because uh, it was a non-contact ACL tear, right. In a pickup basketball game. And I was just going to a jump stop, jump stop around this big dude. And all of a sudden I just felt my, my knee just completely tore and gave way. And I was just like, I just looking back on it, I'm like, I was even destroying the integrity of my joints with it by not recognizing wow. how much was compounding upon itself. My body just didn't have the capacity to heal anymore. I uh, didn't have the capacity to digest food and absorb nutrients, right? So, so you can imagine all of the downstream ramifications of that. And so I just wish I had, I had caught it earlier. Um, yeah. but, th but that's, that's a progression that I hear a lot in clinical practice. It starts off as fatigue, or even sometimes it starts off as insomnia, um, mm. that ultimately will lead to fatigue. And then, you know, yeah, it started as this, and then it went to this, and now I've got this and this and this, and it's like a very common thing to have someone come right. to you, not just with fatigue anymore, but fatigue and a list of at least three other things. Right. So let's dive into that from a, from a quantum biologic perspective. How is it that, that your fatigue cascades all the way to your ACL? Sure. Uh, first and foremost, there's two things. There's a subjective feeling of energy. And then there's also, like I said, the energy that's being produced at the cellular level. I want you to think of energy in those two different ways. And so we have like we're this built-in programming to actually get a surge of energy first thing in the morning. It's typically, it can be seen as a cortisol surge or a cortisol elevation first thing in the morning. And so we're designed to have melatonin, our hormone that rises when we sleep. We're designed to have that decrease in the early hours of the morning so that as the sun comes up and gets higher in the sky, you have, you see a direct correlation to a surge of cortisol. And cortisol gets a bad reputation in, you know, the typical discussions these days of, oh, it's the stress hormone. It's bad. We don't want it. That's incorrect or incomplete. 
We want cortisol. We want it surging first thing in the morning because that actually kicks off so many different pathways in our body. If our cortisol surges, it means that my hypothalamus and my pituitary gland, two key control centers in my brain, have started initiating daytime pathways. So I'm starting to make a hormone that wakes me up. That hormone helps me manage my blood sugar, that hormone that those pathways kick off and communicate to things like my thyroid gland to get that metabolic function revved up, kicks off pathways that go to my pancreas to indicate, oh, be ready. It's time to start the day I started. Kira's going to be eating something soon. So we got to make sure pancreatic function is upregulated. And so all of these different pathways get elevated in the morning. But over the course of modern living, how many of us actually give our brain the signal that it's morning? Very few of us. And what I mean by that is the signal that tells us to start to initiate all those pathways that drive our subjective feelings of energy and readiness for the day come from light signaling into the eyes and specifically a balanced blend of red and blue at sunrise that comes when we're outside in natural light. That signaling, those signals right there communicate to the brain the day has started. All of these pathways can sync up and subjectively my cortisol rises, my thyroid metabolism elevates, and I feel ready to start my day. I actually get the grogginess from the tryptophan breakdown of melatonin. I get that grogginess down and the cortisol overpowers it. And I know for a, I know for me, I had gone at least three decades without really ever knowing this or paying attention to this. And so I I am certain that was why when I tested my cortisol on a salivary panel, I was flatlined all day mm-hmm. long. I had never, I, I had just never coached that surge in right. with morning light. And so subjectively my body was like, is it daytime? Do we need to start these energy processes even? Like what's going on? And right. so that's why my brain and my body were not responding. So if we don't have, daily habits that send the signals to our body that it's time to start all the daytime processes. Our our bodies don't know and they stay stuck in neutral. Yeah. And we, and we feel like that kind of like, eh. If, if you were, if you're an airplane and all of a sudden you had lost con- con- communication with the air traffic control tower at the airport you were approaching, would you just try to land on your own on a random runway and hope for the best? Or would you like circle a couple of times and just try to make a path and try to reestablish communication mm-hmm. so that you knew exactly how to come into the airport, exactly what um, uh, runway to land on and where to taxi? Like you would likely just kind of put yourself in like a neutral position, if you will. Yeah. So as not to cause an, any harm, if at all possible. <laughs> and that's the same thing. We have to view that hmm. clock in our brain as like this central control tower of the rest of the physiology of our body. If it's not getting the correct signaling, at least not consistently enough, it goes into just kind of, hold, let, let, let's hold on for a second. Like we don't quite know what's going on or what time of day it is. So let's just try to cause as little damage as possible, which actually ends up resulting in no progress whatsoever, right? We kind of get stuck right. in this groundhog day mode where it's like, okay, we think it's day. We're not sure it's day or is it night? It's kind of dim in here. It's not super bright. And so the things just kind of go into a neutral mode that ends up feeling like garbage for us. Right. And so then when we go to sleep, if we've spent our day without the proper signals for our body to do what it's supposed to do, then in the evening, we don't, if we're not paying attention during the day, probably not paying attention during the night either. And then, so what's that doing to our sleep? It's, it's throwing the, it's throwing everything off with sleep, right there. And there's other signals at night that throw that sleep off. But typically what happens is we were designed to get that initial surge of cortisol and kickstart all those hypothalamic pituitary pathways. And then as the sun goes higher, when ultraviolet light appears, that's when actually we start to build serotonin. And that serotonin then builds and builds and builds so that we feel subjectively good 
during our day, our working day. And then that serotonin is a precursor to melatonin at night. And so we actually build our capacity to make melatonin with morning sunlight. So upon darkness, that serotonin gets converted into melatonin and it helps us to fall asleep at a circadian appropriate time. So picture if we're not actually consistently getting this surge of serotonin also with the, this morning sunlight. And we're talking about, you. I mean, I know you know this, Mary, we're talking about just the first two hours of the day. It's not like you have to be outside from dawn until the, till noon or solar noon when the sun's at the high point of the sky. All of this is built in to happen within the first two hours of waking. And it's just not a modern construct to be outside then. Our construct is get to work, get get all my work done for the day. And so then maybe at five o'clock, there's still sunlight and I can hang outside from 5 p.m. until sunset. But the signaling that happens first thing in the morning trumps by far the, what's happening um, at sunset, at least in clinical experience. And so um, not getting this energizing signal, not making the serotonin over time, it's, it's just going to throw everything off from energy levels to the day to the ability to get to sleep at night with elevated melatonin. And also melatonin just doesn't just put us to sleep. It runs some really key repair programs when we are asleep. And so if we're not running repair and we're already kind of building up this mitochondrial damage, you know, as I've talked about before, mm -hmm. it, it exacerbates itself, right? We wake up feeling not refreshed. So of course I'm not going to get out of bed or I'm just going to kind of laze through my day. Why would I think about going outside? That takes extra effort. That's mm -hmm. just a silly thing to do. And so it just compounds itself. And then you add in the fact that artificial light at night further tanks any melatonin that your body wants to produce and starts a new surge of cortisol. The clinical pattern here is I'm exhausted all day. I get home, I work my way through dinner and the kids and homework and sports practices. And then I get a second win. And I, mm -hmm. and I have a really hard time falling asleep then before midnight or 1 a.m. That second wind is corresponds with when artificial light at night starts hitting the brain. And so the brain's like, I thought the day was over. I thought we should have started to make melatonin, but that's silly. There's a big shock of blue light entering my eyes. Let's surge cortisol again, which subjectively feels really good for some of these people. Or it yeah. also looks like, you know, I've got some creative type. My creative clients are like, but it's it's my most creative time. And I'm like, yeah. is it? Or have you yeah. just artificially, you know, manipulated mm -hmm. a cortisol surge there to make you feel like that's your most creative time? And so once I, once people recognize this, that then it's the idea of, oh, so legitimately light signaling into my eyes can either make it or break it <laughs> when it comes to right. supporting both energy in the daytime and then sleep at night. And the answer is yes. Yes. So, so the, the quality of your sleep is determined by what you do first thing in the morning. Um, and then it's so, and it sounds like for a lot of us who turn on our devices, it's like, okay, I finally got everything done. Now I'm going to like, I'm going to watch my show or do my work on my laptop or watch my TikToks or whatever it is. We're then blasting our eyes with like a solar noon type signal. Yes. So we didn't give ourselves the daytime signal in the morning when our body was ready for it. We're giving it we're giving that signal in the evening and then we wonder why we can't sleep or why our sleep is not good. Exactly. And it gets more compounded even than that, because what I didn't mention with that cortisol surge is that that cortisol surge in the morning starts because the mitochondria get the signal to make the top steroid hormone. So cortisol is part of the steroid hormone pathway, as is progesterone, testosterone, estrogen, DHEA, all of those steroid hormones are kind of are interconnected and they all start off as pregnenolone. And so as we search, if we're going to surge cortisol again, we're surging pregnenolone. And also that means we have the ability to take this pregnenolone and make it into things like extra estrogen. And guess what? There is a huge connection now we see this is a it's even in the mainstream news that artificial light at night is really strongly correlated with things like breast cancer, prostate cancer, ovarian cancer. And it's because that cortisol surge not only disrupts sleep, it disrupts all of the steroid hormone balance that really shouldn't be upregulated at that time of day. And it leads then to this imbalance that can drive these hormone driven cancers. Wow. So. Yeah, I think it's worth just really highlighting here that all of the body's processes are driven by light. Yes. 
Okay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's, there is a, we have a circadian clock in our brain for a reason. And there's a reason why light across all the circadian research is called the primary Zeitgeber, German word for time giver. And that means that that is what we cue into first and foremost, and it, it drives the main clock signaling in the brain. And then there's other things we can do to either sync our circadian rhythm up with that, with, with what are we called secondary zeitgeibers, or we can use secondary zeitgeibers to kind of throw things off, which is also why with fatigue, I think it's really important for people to also have breakfast in conjunction with a close sunrise. So get sunrise if you can, or as close to sunrise as possible. Listen, I know, I know sometimes like when in fatigue, it's like, oh, I finally crashed at five o'clock in the morning and I want to sleep until nine now. All I'm saying is as soon as you wake up, Make natural light be the first thing your brain sees and then have a meal because that meal then starts your gut clocks and reinforces the time of day that the day has started. What I was guilty of during my adrenal issues was the idea that I wanted to intermittent fast, right? I thought intermittent mm -hmm. fasting was like going to cure me. <laughs> um, so intermittent fasting with strict ketosis. And so I was like, well, I'm going to have a bulletproof coffee in the morning, right? I'm going to have this yeah. bulletproof coffee, uh -huh. and, uh, maybe two of them. And that kept me satiated until one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And, um, and so like, then I, then I actually had some meals, but then my blood sugar felt kind of dysregulated and mm -hmm. wonky. And so that wasn't working. I felt a bigger crash that I was like, well, maybe I should eat, maybe I should feel my metabolism every three hours instead and started eating like energy balls every three hours. Like my, <laughs> yeah. what I, I was just confusing everything. Right. And so right. what I find most clinically relevant is we need to tell the body what time of day it is. We need to sync our gut clocks up to that start of the day with a good quality breakfast. And that good quality breakfast also signals to my nervous system that we're not in a period of starvation or food scarcity. So Carrie doesn't have to have extra cortisol upregulated, extra norepinephrine or adrenaline always on edge. Right. And so that also has a calming effect to the nervous system, calming effect. People also say, okay, well, my anxiety is way lower. My threshold for stress is better. And it's because of all these things work together to either signal, you know, that all is copacetic or like right. if the body doesn't know, it body will resort to stress, stress, stressor, stressor, and it's going to upregulate those pathways instead. Interesting. Okay. So we're, we want to be giving our body the correct signals. So the key signal is light, but food is also a signal. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, the early morning light is ideal, but even if it to just go outside, no matter what time we wake up, go outside and then eat breakfast Yes, in that yeah. order. Okay. Yeah, go outside and then eat breakfast and don't have your coffee until you go outside. If you do have coffee, Yes. get the light yes. hit first. If you I have coffee. I love coffee. I, of all the crazy health things I've done, I was always like, you will never take my coffee. I, think <laughs> I did it. I did it once for a cleanse, but other than that, I'm like, no one gets my coffee. However, now that I understand signaling, uh, yeah, it's light and then food and then coffee, uh, usually an hour to an hour and a half after I've woken up. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so that's, and what's fascinating because I, I do like my coffee too. Right. Um, and, but it's the idea that I thought I needed the coffee to wake myself yes. up, but you don't realize how, yeah. how charging or stimulating just light at sunrises for the brain, right? Like I, yes. I don't need coffee. I, yes. I like the taste of it. I like to sit yeah. with a warm cup. I mean, like there's so many Same. other things that I enjoy about it, but, um, but it's not needed for the energy boost. It's just because it yes. brings me joy. Same. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's really interesting because I like, yeah. And I was never a morning person ever at all. Like the hardest part for me of having children was like getting up with them and it was, they, they're more, their rising times were much different than what I'd ever had in my life. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I found that to be a real challenge, but what I've noticed and even, even just more recently, cause we've got we got this puppy. Cause I was like, not staying out long enough in the morning. Like I would go out and then I would open all the, all the windows in my kitchen and be like, Oh, I'm still getting the light. But I just had this feeling. I'm like, I think it could be better. So, but I wasn't doing it. So I'm like, I need, you know, I'm, if I have a reason I'll do it. So I got this, <laughs> we got a puppy. She's delightful. We love her. We want a puppy anyway. But so now my, my outdoor time has gone from five or 10 minutes to like, 45 to 50 minutes. 
And there are some mornings, yeah, where it's like, uh, and then about 15 minutes into being outside, especially if it's not cloudy, it takes longer if it's cloudy. Uh, yeah, you just feel like this tingling and your brain is like, bing. I'm like, oh, I'm not tired anymore. Like, that's so weird. And that's what I used to rely on my coffee for. Yep. That's exactly it. It's exactly it. And so picture then the dysregulating pattern. If we do coffee without any of that, typically we wake up, we'll get a zing of cortisol. Maybe it's five o'clock in the morning and we want to check our phone or our computer before we hit the gym or something. Right. So that's an artificial surge of cortisol at the wrong time of day. While we're there, we hear that drinking a cup of black coffee is good for fat utilization during our workout. So we're going to you know drink some black coffee on our way there. That's another hit of cortisol at the at a circadian inappropriate time. Those two things alone, think about that's just time in and time out, day in and day out. That is just very dysregulating. But there's a correct, like you said, there's a correct way to do it. Sunrise, zing, food, all is copacetic, coffee. So if you do yeah. get a little bit of a cortisol surge, then it's not going to throw everything off the way it does before. And like, this is zero judgment because that was me. Like I'm talking yeah. about me, people. <laughs> sure. Same. Yes. Right. Yeah. But, yes. You, know, you, know, you know, it's just recognizing it, you know, I know better, I do better. And I don't miss like the order of, oper- like the order of operations feels really good to me. I don't miss having coffee, like right when I wake up first thing in the morning. Yes. And I don't even want it. Until, and then later, yeah, it's like, okay, now's my time. And I do find like, I do find it, it has like a focusing effect, but I no longer require it for, yeah, for, for an energy effect. It's just, I just like it. <laughs> but uh, listen, yeah. Can I tell you something? I just shared this on, no one had ever asked me this. And I just shared this on a podcast with a dentist over on the other side of the state um, that I was, who was doing an interview. And he was just like, well, like, did you use, like, did you used to drink coffee? And like, what did you, and I like, I like thought back and I was like, oh my gosh, I, there's a coffee shop right by my gym that I owned. And I used to drink three iced caramel lattes every single morning. And people are like, you used to drink three iced caramel lattes every morning. And it was like, oh, I did. That's embarrassing. Um, so yeah, I like, yes. I think it's good for people to hear that. Like we can it all start is. somewhere. <laughs> it is. We all start somewhere and we're all on a journey. And we're I also want to say, cause sometimes I feel it, like I interview all of you amazing people and you give me all this great stuff. And like, I, I was talking about this when Heather Shepard was on and it's like in my mind, when I hear a podcaster interviewing all these people, I'm like that podcaster does every single thing, every single one of her guests has to do it. I just want to say I do my best, but yeah, we're all, <laughs> it's a process, yeah. you know? And I, so I don't, I just said this the other, like, this was in my private community the other day too. It's just like, I am like not a circadian quantum perfectionist. I, I just can't like that mentality has not served me well in any aspect of life. Yes. And there are people that are like, I respect my colleague Corey so much because Corey yeah. is like, uh, the maximalist. And I love yes. it. He loves it. He loves that life. Yeah. And I love that he does, you know, yes. but I think it's good to see that there's, there's a range and there's perspective and there's ways to incorporate this without it being like, you must do it this way perfectly, or it's never going to work. And yes. so it's nice to see that there is flexibility when it comes to this type of lifestyle. Yeah. So that it's so important to say that. Yeah. And that's the, also the beautiful thing about light is like a little bit can make a difference, right? Like just like popping outside on the front porch for a few minutes, cracking a window in whatever room we're in while we're doing our morning stuff, like all these little things could make a difference. We don't have to like, yeah, like totally put our, put our life upside down. And I, and I, do you think that that's an interesting observation too? Cause I do think some people need that. Like I've noticed I've learned from doing this podcast that like I was always with food, right? Like I could never be dogmatic about food because it just, it it just demoralized me, right? Like the idea of like, okay, now you have to be ketosis. Now you have to be this free. Now you have to like it, just the way my mind works and the way I am, I found that just soul crushing. Like, I just want to like eat healthily and not think about it too, too much. That's kind of my deal. But, but if I want to go out for tapas, I'm going to go out for tapas, yeah. right? <laughs> sometimes like I want a cheeseburger with a bun on it, right? Yeah. Like, um, but talking to people, for some people, it's the opposite. Like they they don't feel comfortable unless they're in some kind of very structured food regimen, right? Like that's, they just, 
that's where they need to live to feel like they're the opposite of me. Mm-hmm. And so and I'm like, then wonderful, then you then use that. So yeah, it's whatever works for you for your personality, for your cognitive profile, for your psychological type, like whatever you need to feel good and safe. But some people need a little structure, some people need a lot, right? And so I found that really interesting. And I think it's that lack of understanding where we get all these like food war dogma things as somebody who really needs it is like, you need it too. <laughs> Not And someone who can get by with just a little bit is like, oh yeah. no, you could, yeah, you know, yeah, you it's have all a cheeseburger, Don't worry cheeseburger about three it. times a week, no big deal, right? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 that's exactly it. And that's why I think that this is, um, what the QVC is putting out and just more and more practitioner experience, people are going to see such a variety of like, you know, like recommendations. It's like, well, I find that 10 minutes here works really well for my client population. I find that really focusing on this for a little bit. It's like, we're just, we're, this is just the tip of the iceberg really about what we're learning about how to apply light. And what I'm, what I'm hearing from different people is that there is wiggle room or there is like maybe a key time of day to key in on for their specific situation. And if they're just people yeah. are consistent with it, that it, it, it makes a difference, but nothing is, the, nothing is really dogmatic about this. The only thing I'm dogmatic about is putting my blue blockers on at night. It's the yeah. only thing I'm super dogmatic about it. Cause, yes. cause viscerally, it just doesn't feel good to me. If I don't have them on after a certain time, it's just like, Ooh, like that's the TV is on. And I don't have my blue yes. blockers on, you know? Yes. Yeah, I would agree with you on that because I also, I'm like, I'm destroying all the great work I did all day, <laughs> like True. with yeah. optimizing my light signals. And so, I mean, yeah, every once in a while, you know, life happens, life happens, but generally speaking, yeah, if there's a screen on or an LED on like, yeah, those blue blockers is, they are, they are super key. Yeah. Um, and that, I guess that would be the other part of it that we didn't really talk about. So we talked about optimizing morning light, getting outside as much as possible in the daytime. And then at night, changing our habits or or blocking the light if we do want to watch TV or if we do need to get on our laptop for a bit after sunset. Yeah. The, um, the easiest thing to do, I think that allows people to still kind of be a part of modern society is just get a good pair of orange blue blockers and they don't have to be expensive to be good, right? I got a whole bunch of different options in my product recommendations guide, but the orange people have just said, no, the orange blocks the blue, the blue wavelength of light from screens or bulbs or devices is what stimulates that extra cortisol surge and tanks the melatonin. So if I can mitigate that, if I can block that frequency from entering my eyes, then I go a heck of a long way towards preserving the timing in my brain. My brain still thinks it's nighttime. I'm still making adequate amounts of melatonin. And I find that I, it just, I circadian wise, I still go to bed at a very appropriate time, even if I am watching TV, frankly, mm-hmm. um, because I'm blocking that signaling. Um, you know, I'll probably go to bed around nine or nine 30 in the summer and gonna fall asleep probably between 7 30 and 8 in the winter and it and I could be watching TV no matter what with the family and it's just my brain knows the time and knows it's night and I can actually get to sleep when I want to. Right. And those those glasses do for the nighttime they do need to be nice and orange. <laughs> they need to be nice and orange and there is a yeah. handful of clients I've had who also need red simply because okay. red, like if you like my I'll put this out there my chronic night owls like that have been night owls since for decades and decades who don't respond to orange they also might be sensitive to green light mm. and and even the brightness of a tv screen and so what the red does is it blocks the blue and the green and it also um, dims the light entering the eyes substantially. And so those are the people who it's like they put, I tell them to put them on about 60 minutes before their desired bedtime, the red ones. And it okay. does the trick, right? It does the trick. It's the same thing, but sometimes a little more intensity is needed. And it, these yellow ones would do nothing. Like they, they do, would do absolutely nothing to help right. pre- preserve circadian signaling at night. So you really do need the deep orange or red ones for that better. Right. Okay. And while we're here, we'll just cover that, cover this, because um, I'm hoping people who are new to this will hear this podcast. So that if you're on a screen all day long, you could wear yellow tinted glasses for the daytime, but those Good. are not going to help you at night. 
Correct. And people don't have to. I have been on this journey long enough. Like I had clear ones of these. I had just different, my screen settings different. I had, I had a bunch of different options. And honestly, I just fell in love with the Viva Rays yellows there. They were just yellow enough to mitigate any sort Mm -hmm. of strain. They weren't too yellow that I felt tired. So, I mean, I, I just fell in love, but I encourage people just because it works for me, doesn't mean it's going to work for you. I've got clients who use zero mitigation in any capacity during the day. And then they're just very diligent about blocking the artificial light before sunrise, going outside, getting that morning light and blocking it pretty much after sunset or nightfall. And they focus on that. And then it is what it is during the day and it works just fine for them as well. So the middle of the day is where there's wiggle room for you to try and experiment Mm -hmm. what works best for you. But really everyone across the board can benefit from orange after sunset or nightfall. And I say nightfall because that's on the circadian app and I reference that a lot with my clients. Um, So nightfall. And then also if you wake up before sunrise, you you would have gone to bed with your blue blockers that are on your nightstand. You just put them right back on. And that way, if you do happen to be getting up to maybe even use the bathroom or kids wake up early, right? And people are turning on some lights and you don't you don't want to artificially stimulate your circadian rhythm. You just protect your eyes in the morning, just like you did the night before. Right. And um, yeah, I find, uh, yeah, you can, or you can put the uh, the filters on, a, on the laptop. Yes. Um, some people can, if you have a, if you have a company laptop here sometimes not able to download those, but I find even lowering the brightness. Um, Although you want to know what there's, here's an anecdote of this. So I've got like, so my mom came and she's got this cute, she has this cute little Kindle. It's almost like a, it's not even like a Amazon fire Kindle. It's like legitimately just the paper white style Kindle. Mm -hmm. And she had a black background and, you know, the div, it was div and all that. I was just like, let me take my light meter to this. I've got a spectrometer. Let me take a spectrometer reading for this. Cause my thought was this could be a really great option for people, right? Cause it's yeah. subjectively, it doesn't look bright. It doesn't look like it would be full of blue. Yeah. That bad boy had a sharp spike of blue wow. and then a little orange and a little green and a little yellow. And I was like, let me take this reading again. I was like, let me take this reading again. And it, wow. so even on that, even those screens, it is a sharp blue light. So even if it doesn't seem bright to you, that so blue. Even when the brightness is turned down, mm-hmm. your eyes aren't as strained, but that blue can still be shooting out. Correct. Interesting. Now there's zero flicker. The benefit of that was that there's zero flicker on that. Like our phone screens have tons of flicker. Um, But don't, don't be, don't be thinking that there's no blue light on something like that even. Okay. So we definitely want to have the, depending how we're responding, the yellow glasses or the iris or the flux or one of those programs that pulls the blue light out of what's coming out of the TV. If you can, like, listen, yeah. uh, my, my line is there's no biological need for artificial blue light. We never need it. So if you have any opportunity to reduce it, mitigate it, eliminate it, you're fine. Right. The only blue light you need is coming from the sun. Right. Which is always balanced out with all the other colors in this. Correct. Exactly. Okay. So this, and yeah, I mean, let's just talk about this for a moment, for a minute, right? Uh, the light that is coming out of a device. Um, yeah, it is just a completely alien spectrum right. that human eyes or animal eyes for that matter, any eyes would never have encountered ever in any kind of natural setting. Correct. Absolutely correct. I so the, any- the factory settings on a laptop or a phone are, in my opinion, highly toxic. Highly toxic, right? Very chaotic. I use the words extremely chaotic because it's the wrong blend of light that would never occur in nature and it never changes. And that's not what happens with sunlight. Second by second, sunlight is changing either in brightness, intensity, the wavelengths that are present. It's always changing. It's very dynamic. Here, what I'm staring at in front of you with like with you is a screen emitting emitting a very unnatural blend of light that never changes. So that's mm. why it almost feels like zombie land or the twilight zone. Yes. Or, you know, I, have you ever been in a doctor's office with fluorescent lighting? Mm-hmm. And that, that, that same thing never changes. It's just kind of like, 
or a big box store, you're walking right. down an aisle and you're like, how much longer do I have to be in here? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cause it's just so confusing and chaotic to the brain. Right. So our cells, our brain, our eyes, all of it are just thrown into chaos when we put ourselves under those lights. Yeah. The body's trying to any kind of mitigation. Exactly. The body's trying to be like, what time of day it is? Is it, what is this signaling about my environment? Is it safe still? Is something about to happen? Is it daytime? Is it the middle of the day? And all of that just, it, it changes how our body can function. It just can't function. It's best under that. Right. And then that chaos leads to fatigue inflammation. Really that's mitochondrial inflammation. We didn't talk about this, but blue wavelengths of light actually by themselves can jam up the whole mitochondrial energy process, jams up water production, ATP production. And so those blue wavelengths of light that we get unopposed from devices is really what by itself can cause mitochondrial dysfunction. And that by definition means less water, that's an energy source for our body, less ATP which kind of acts as an energy source in our body. And then also a lot more mitochondrial reactive oxygen species or damage that can come out uh, that the body just has to continue to quench and heal. And so over time, it's just, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. Right. But here's so, the thing too. Can, yeah. I, can, can, can we, yeah, can we yeah. make, it, make it happy? Can we make it happy yes. too? Yes. Do I go into a store and buy stuff without wearing these during the day? Yes. Yes, yes, I do. Guess what, people? <laughs> you may see me in some time in public without these in a store in during the middle of the afternoon. Because what did I do going into the store? I had my sunroof open, my windows down. I parked far away. I sky gazed just a couple of times as I was going into the store. I spend my 30 minutes getting what I need to. I come back out and I repeat that same process. And I so you can mitigate the body's not stupid. Yeah. It knows the time of day. It gets a short little bit of chaos and then you go right back to reestablishing it. So it's not like, oh no, I went to the grocery store for an hour and now my day is ruined. Like my body is just in this extreme chaotic state. That's, that's not how it works. We're, we're pretty adaptable and we just need the right signaling in order to be able to optimize everything back up. And that is such a good point to make. Yeah. If we have enough habits that are keeping our bodies regulated and understanding and in coherence, these little, they can handle these little bouts of chaos. They can handle, they can handle modern life. Exactly. If we know how to compensate for it. Which is why I say consistency over perfection. I would much rather my clients know how to get 30 second hits all day long than a 30 minute hit once a week or once every couple of weeks, right? Of, Of natural light. So it really makes a difference to be consistent with these little habits. Yeah. And all these little things make a difference. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I, just to bring it back to, to the fatigue, to chronic fatigue, like it's such an important um, topic because it is one of those things where we think we have all these little fixes, right? Like you were reminding me like, Oh, I'll just have a cup of coffee or, Oh, and I re- you talked about the fitness. Like I did that too. When the, my postpartum chronic fatigue was really, really, really bad. I was like, okay, well, some days like I can barely walk down the sidewalk, but like exercise gives you energy. So I'll just do like a super intense class and right. Cause we think we understand, but how to manage these things, but we understand how to manage being tired. We don't, but, but, but like a mitochondrial dysfunction is a totally different ballgame. So we do these things thinking we know. And so I, I remember I did that class. It was 90 minutes. I at least had the sense to be like, I think I'll only do 60, (laughs) but I was, I couldn't get out of bed for three days Mm -hmm. after that. And that's, I remember that I was like, oh, I think maybe there's something more going on than I realized. Yeah. And that that's another common one you hear. It's like people are unwilling to give up like their intense workout regimen, even if it's not the circadian appropriate time, or even if it does require them a little like extra night of sleep or whatever they're not feeling because for about an hour afterwards, you get this endorphin rush and you get this cortisol surge and you get this adrenaline hit that you falsely think means your body is feeling great in response to the workout, but your body just put out a shit ton of like energy hormones, survival hormones, basically to be like, I'm not really sure what she just did, but I think it's over, but let's just keep these elevated just in case that bear is still chasing her and we have to make sure she can (laughs) run away. And then when that, when that stimulus is gone, the body crashes, but I was like, okay, now we can 
recover. Um, but we ought, right. we kind of start to tie, well, I do feel good after exercise. So exercise can't be a problem, but right. knowing this, you just recognize your body is just responding to that as a stressor more than anything. Right. Cause we're not in a good place. We're not in a good place. Exercise right. during adrenal fatigue or fatigue recovery, chronic fatigue recovery. I tell people take a couple months off and go for a morning walk. Yeah. The most underrated thing you can do is go for a walk within the first two hours of sunrise. 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 45, however long you want to and have time for, but it is beyond underrated in terms of a, a support yeah. strategy for both circadian health and just overall metabolic health. It's a beautiful practice to get into if at all possible. Yeah. I have certainly found that to be the case. Thanks to little Murphy May needing her morning walks. <laughs> I, did. I was too excited to start working and I didn't do it on my own. So people, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. So Carrie, you have a, uh, chronic fatigue program. I do. Yeah. I call it the adrenal fatigue fix. And again, it's for anyone with chronic fatigue, but here's the deal. Any of you clinicians out there or practitioners marketing means sometimes you have to label something (laughs) yes, (laughs) specific, Yes, but really it's just anyone who's struggling with fatigue during the day, sleep at night. And it is geared towards my experience with adrenal fatigue and working with clients with adrenal fatigue, which basically just means your cortisol is dysregulated. Your melatonin is dysregulated. So how can we get those curves back on track and optimize everything, including my experience was my digestion took a tank. So I talk about also then how do we sync up digestion? metabolic function, right? With leptin signaling. And at the very, very end of the course is, and if you want to take adaptogens or if you want to use supplements, or if you have Mm -hmm. found supplements to be useful, here's kind of my take on it, but it doesn't, that does by no means the lead, right? It's all of this circadian stuff first. And then voila, there's a couple of other tools that people can maybe use for support that are much more supportive once they've got the foundation of light. So it's called the Adrenal Fatigue Fix. They can find it at carryvwellness.com. Awesome. And I really, really encourage anyone who is feeling even just a little bit fatigued, right? Like it doesn't, don't wait for it to get bad, right? Like if for me, the test is like, if you don't feel better after catching up on your sleep, you need to look, there's something else that needs to be looked at. Um, and this is a really good place to start. Um, so highly recommend and please everybody like, yeah, take your fatigue seriously. It's, it's send, it's sending you important messages. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Meredith, for, for this opportunity and for sharing your story as well. I appreciate it. Okay. Great to have you. See you Thank soon, you. Carrie. Bye. This has been the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. To find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely take a look at the Applied Quantum Biology Certification, a six-week study of the science of the new human health paradigm and its practical application with your patients and clients. We also love to feature graduates of the program on this very podcast. Until next time, the QBC.